Welcome to WMFA, a podcast where writers talk writing. I'm Courtney Ballastier, and this week I'm talking with Marley Grace, whose book How to Not Always Be Working is out now. Marley is an improviser and writer living on the rural coast of California. She works with improvisation as a method for navigating being alive and making work through dancing, quilting, writing, and podcasting. She also runs a community space and public studio in Inverness, California, called Center. How to Not Always Be Working is a slim pep talk built around a question that so many creatives deal with. When we're lucky enough to be doing what we love and to be making work that we identify with so personally, how do we keep our whole lives from turning into work? In many ways, the book is interested in the same things that WMFA is interested in. Talking about why we do what we do so that we can do it with more intention, and talking about how we do what we do so that we can do it better. I love this conversation as the last one of 2018 because it's a sprawling discussion about creativity in its many forms, as a bodily practice, a mental practice, a business practice, a communal practice, a personal practice. It turns out that Marley and I are both Geminis with Mercury and Gemini, so we move pretty fast and cover a lot of ground in this episode. We talk about how to do the work we love while soothing the inner critics who try to stop us. She named hers Roger. We talk about branding and authenticity online and how to turn our creative skills into money like actual money. And we talk about remembering our power, always, to shift the energy and structure of our days, our projects, and our careers. And so I think sometimes when we're really burnt out and want to quit, that's okay. Like, but then how can you be like, what are the parts of this I love? What are the parts of it that nourish me? And how can I just like shift how it's structured? I was just rereading the book today and it occurred to me that like the thing that I think I really love the most about it is that it really addresses this thing that that really is like one of the best things about working for yourself but that's really hard for me to keep in mind which is that like you can always be in control of like the energy and content of your day mm. and like I just wanted to talk to you to start kind of with that idea and like ask how that was working for you or wasn't working for you when you started writing this yeah, that's a great. I love starting here. I the first thing I just thought of when you said that is how much other people are teaching me what the book is about. <laughs> and what, like I haven't heard someone say that yet and have sort of talked to a lot of people about the book and what uh how it impacts them and you know, the phrase I can start my day over at any time is really important to me partly because my inner critic and voice about myself and about specifically how I spend my time is really mean a lot of the time. It's Roger. probably my meanest voice. Roger, thank you. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I can't, I've been talking about Roger in so many different things that I, I keep being like, me. I don't want to talk about Roger anymore, but it's fine. Um, yes. For those listening, I named that voice Roger. And and I've been t- thinking a lot lately though about how I've been sort of like and I, th- I think that this is just practice. Like I've been getting really good at sort of closing the gap between when Roger comes in and when like a new voice can get introduced. Yeah. Because a lot of times I'm like, okay, I can start my day. And Roger's like, yeah, 
you always say that and then you never do. And I can, it's, it's getting faster that I can be like, you know what? No, I can, I can, I can. Um, and changing, I like something I learned from therapy is changing. I should to like, I can, like I can start over now. So yeah, I'm always, I'm always relearning that one, but it, even just in the past few weeks, I've been seeing it get easier for me. Yeah, that makes me think of this meditation um, that a friend had just sent me yesterday. I forget the guy's name. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. But he's talking about um, having this voice. This that, that self-critical voice was really um, on fire with him when he was give, He was about to give some really big presentation, like he was like, you know, at some institute that I think he had studied at, and like his meditation teacher was in the audience, and it was like all very stressful. And he kind of realized that actually he and that voice kind of wanted the same thing in the end. The voice was just being Mm. very harsh. So like he was kind of like, look, I don't want to fuck up either. Like we both don't want me to mess this up. You're just kind of going about it in a way that's really not helpful. And like, I would like you to just cool it. And he was like, you know, it's not magic. It wasn't like a, you know, but it, but it softens it a little bit. And I really loved that. And it seems so obvious, but it never occurred to me. Like you, you are after the same thing kind of. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's how I sort of finally started healing that conversation with Roger was like, I used to just be mad Mm -hmm. at him, which was actually being mad at myself because that, that voice is just from me. And then at sort of some mentor or someone in my life, I remember was sort of like, you know, like Roger actually loves you. Like Roger wants you to have this beautiful life. He's just maybe going around about it the wrong way. Um, so I, yeah, the more I just like hear the Roger words and I'm like, Oh yeah, I see what is like trying to be communicated. How can I shift this perspective is yeah. Works a lot better, a lot gentler. I I remember once, like, I think this was maybe like a year ago, being really proud of myself that I had like, you know, I had had enough with this like fear and doubt that I was feeling. And so I like Google (laughs) imaged some like gnarly picture of some like weird sea beast creature thing and like made a little (laughs) manifesto about how I wasn't going to pay attention to it. And I went and told my therapist and she was like, or... Yeah, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like ask him what he wants and like, you know, what's yeah. what's the problem and yeah, all of that stuff. But it, you know, it, it's it's repeated for a reason. It's good. It's yes. good advice. Yes. yes. So, how did this come about? I seem to remember when I saw you and Ellen Rutt in Ypsilanti, which was awesome, by the way. I really enjoyed that Thank conversation. You. Um, Thanks. you it had started as a zine, I think you said? Yeah, so in 2015, I was running a space in Grand Rapids called Half Company. That was an artist residency. And I was planning a trip to California, to Oakland, and I was teaching a workshop and sort of about how to not always be working, but hadn't written it yet. And so I developed this little zine workbook to just go with the workshop that I originally taught with Jenny Williams, who's a writer and an artist. And yeah, I taught it at Case for Making, which is this very, very special sort of tiny art supply store in the Outer Sunset in San Francisco. And so, yeah, that's how it was born. And then the zine, I left a few copies and a woman named Kate Woodrow found a copy and Kate is a literary agent. And then we got in touch and then we turned it and started the process of turning it into a book. 
it's such a good lesson of just like, and I think this is something that I, this is like a new lesson for me and that I'm kind of trying to change my mindset on is to just like do the work first, <laughs> you know? Yep. I feel like I've recently become aware of the fact that like I want some kind of guarantee before I even start. Mm. It's funny because I feel like a lot of people probably, I assume, or do have information to confirm this, but people look at what I do and how I present what I do. And I think, you know, they're like, wow, Marley does a lot. And in my head, I'm like, if you only knew the amount of projects I have never started because I don't know how they will end, (laughs) you know, I think I definitely am like a non-starter sometimes and wait, because I'm, yeah, I have that same fear around like, well, how will this end? I learn a lot from my little brother who, sorry, I've been calling him my little brother for 27 years, but, um, (laughs) he's a grown man. And, uh, but he has a, music project called radiator hospital. And he, I remember seeing in his bedroom in Philly once he had taped a piece of paper to the wall that just said like something like sing a song every day. Mm. And it was that same trip that I started my daily dance project. And I'm sure it influenced me, but he's, he's someone who like, you know, makes tapes in his bedroom that then get reviewed in Rolling Stone magazine. And I think that that is always my like example of he to me as someone who isn't like, I really hope I get that four star review in Rolling Stone magazine. He's like literally a punk who writes songs to process his life and he does the work and he puts the work into the world without expectation and really nice, beautiful things have happened from that. And so I think that I sort of try to take the same approach with my work. Yeah. Yeah. It very much, it very much comes off that way. And I think like this, um, this is like a classic, uh, gem from one of my old interviews that I think about all the time. This, um, incredible poet and, um, essayist Tanif Abdurraqib was saying that he had just gone on a writing, like a solo writing retreat and he deleted everything that he wrote. And I was just like, wow. I feel like you just told me some like Zen parable that like, I can't wow. quite get my brain around yet, but it's like, asp- it's very aspirational for me. And that makes me think of that. It's just like, it just really shifts the perspective. Yeah. my ex-girlfriend did had something like that happen where she had had like a whole like he like all of this music ambient music on her computer and she had uploaded like the final tracks that she needed for something but still had like so much recording and then her computer just exploded and died and it was just all gone mm. and she was just like all right and I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it was just like this kind of, it was very inspired and still I'm inspired by that of just like, oh yeah, you can just, I guess that meant it was done now, <laughs> whether it's like an accident or on purpose to delete. So, yeah. Right. Right. So what even got you thinking about this idea of how to not always be working or kind of noticed that, that that was something that you were, you were doing that you could maybe expand on? Yeah. Yeah, it started because, and the book kind of, you know, is really for this purpose is the identifying of like, what can you, to me, it's about like, what can I hold close and not turn into my work? Because I am a knitter and was knitting all the time as a hobby. And 
sharing it and people loved it. And I was like, well, I should order yarn and sell yarn at my store. And then all of a sudden, you know, all of my knitting had to be documented and was for the purpose of promoting this yarn. And part of the problem was the yarn brand I chose to sell. I couldn't list online. That was just like part of their business model. I could only sell it in the store. And I think it also made me face the realities that so much of my business at the time was online and how people related to me digitally. And so it was not only sort of like a a business fail in some ways, it also just like destroyed a lot of parts of my life. And I was, um, in a, you know, I was married, I was in a partnership at the time and that partnership started to really, you know, I'm not in that part. I'm not in that partnership in the way that it was then. I'm, you know, I can see the ways that that person is like a friend and a collaborator to me now, but, um, you know, at the time it just was like ruining everything around me. I was just obsessed with working And so I finally had to ask myself and say to myself, like, okay, what is the difference? Like, what can I, what do I need to really look at? Like, what is not my job and how to keep it not my job? So that that's sort of how it, how it, how it began. And I think that's such a, that's such a persistent problem for creative people because you want to be, you know, your interests feel so personal anyway, like all of your art feels so personal. And then it's like, okay, well the input, the input informs the output. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you want that kind of, which is like something that I'm thinking about a lot right now, like, okay, well I do want, like, I really love that idea of that kind of holistic, like kind of closed loop almost, but like, yeah, then everything is, especially when you're talking about your digital, um, your digital, the ver- the digital version of yourself and your like brand, then kind of everything is fair game. Yeah. The thing that I've sort of like the thing that I've identified since the book came out, which again is, I'm so grateful that the book keeps teaching me and I keep learning from it. And, and, but one thing was I, I swim a lot and I'm in the ocean a lot here and I, what I realized, and I think it's the same with knitting is like the task itself is not work. Like when I am swimming, I am a hundred percent present. I'm not thinking about work. I'm not thinking about how to integrate it into my work, but it is a part of my life experience. And my job really in the last few years has been to, you know, publicly share my life and my process of like how I heal and how I work and how I use art in my life and what my daily routines are, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's what I'm realizing is like, it's, I'm allowed to talk about these sacred things, but I'm, I try to keep the thing itself non work. Like I don't want to make money from swimming. I don't want to teach a swimming lesson. I don't want to invent a workshop. That's like swimming for creative thought or you know what I mean like it's so easy for me to be like I'm gonna invent a workshop around this thing now um that I do that helps me and so um that's been a big takeaway since the book came out is like how can the thing be both like how can the task itself be not working but I'm allowed to talk about it in my work so yeah and I think it's like you know with those sorts of things online especially I think that like our barometers for authenticity are pretty good at this point and like Mm -hmm. we can kind of spot the difference between like you know those sort of 
posts that look like perfectly staged and are like, oh, I was just in the middle of doing this, you know, miraculous thing. And I just, the thing, a thing that always like just a trigger for me with this always is, um, like, and this isn't even, I think a branding thing and this is just people like, you know, whatever, but, um, like these really well, uh, these really high style, like freelance lunches when people are like, Oh my God, I'm just working from home today. And I'm like, I ate almond butter on a graham cracker. And like, that doesn't mean that you have to eat that way too, but I'm pretty sure that you didn't do this. Yeah. The digital, yeah. Digital performance is real. And I think that it's, you know, yeah, some people build their entire business off of things looking amazing. I'm looking at my tiny cabin right now, and it's truly a, a tornado person really does live here, and, and her name is Marley. <laughs> um, but it's, I think what can also be funny about the internet and about social media is like, you know, even if you you were to share like, well, I ate the, the almond butter on a cracker, if I was like, here's none of my dishes done, like, people then kind of glorify that same that's true thing again like there's been so many times that I've made a post something like hey just so like everybody knows like you know pictures of the beach don't mean I have it all figured out and then people are like I'm so glad you're saying that and yeah. it's like you know even if I was like I watched six episodes of Law and Order today I think people would still like thank me in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I try to just sometimes not share even that part or something. Yeah, no, that's a <laughs> good complicated. point. Yeah. We should probably um, explain for folks who might not be familiar because a, a large part of your sort of digital presence is around your Instagram account, personal practice, right? Where you started mm, yeah. posting a dance uh, practice a day. And, and you yeah. also have, yeah, I would love to talk to you about how you also toggle between those two things. Like, um, cause you also have your personal account that is like, you know, as we're saying, mm-hmm. quasi personal because of all of these, yeah. things, for all these yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Personal practice is, you know, maybe my favorite project I've ever done. It's probably my like favorite thing I've ever done for myself. Um, yeah, I started it in the summer of 2015. I, I got a BFA in dance from the University of Michigan in 2010. And yeah, five years later, I was just sort of like, hmm, I'm not really dancing as much as I want to be. And I kept like being like, what does that sentence even mean? Like, I'm just in my body all the time. Like, it's not like I can't afford materials or like I can literally dance whenever I literally want to. So what's what's really in the way And so I started an Instagram feed just for like my own sort of personal accountability. And yeah, pretty quickly I found that I was doing it every day and I was like, oh, maybe that's what this project is. It's me just doing it every day, even when I don't want to. And I don't, um, I do dance every day still. I have that commitment to myself, but I don't, at some point after in the second year or something, I was like, you know, I don't really want to necessarily have the need to show people every day, but Mm -hmm. I still really enjoy posting often. And yeah, I love dancing. I love music. And yeah, it became its own strange social media phenomenon. Maybe phenomenon is dramatic. (laughs) I don't even know how one would do this on purpose, but did you like cultivate that in any way? No, never. 
and I did nothing. <laughs> I literally just post. I mean, my personal account is very, you know, is very cultivated. I would say, you know, I have a lot of like, I connect with people, I comment with people, I follow people. I use that account when I hosted the residency before. Like, it's a very so it's very social media. Um, but personal practice, I never, never used a hashtag, never followed anybody, never like had anything. I think it just because so much of it is based on the songs that I'm picking, which are like popular songs, usually whether they're pop songs or, um, you know, oldies or whatever, I think people just shared them so much with their friends or like tagged people or, um, or maybe the, whoever works at Instagram liked it enough and, and put it high in the algorithm. And, you know, it's been in the explore page. Like it just, but it's, it, it is the same example of like, there was never a plan. There was never a plan for, I was never like, I hope thousands of people and celebrities and everybody just loves my dancing. I was just like, all right, I'm going to do this. Um, yeah, I don't, you know, it's made me very little money. It's not like, you know, I, I self-published a book that was basically just a catalog of all mm-hmm. the songs. And, you know, I made, I made money by making a book about it, but like, you know, it's, it's a project that was never for like work. And I like it that way. It's good. Yeah. It, it's interesting that like, you know, cause, and I've been experimenting with, um, similar, a similar thing lately to also to kind of hold myself accountable, but, but also to hold myself accountable to like being comfortable with like rough drafts Ooh, um, yeah. of just posting like a sentence that a sentence a day of like a sentence I wrote that day. So like always first draft, like very rough stuff. Yes, um, and, and I love that. And like, you know, then like I think of Liana Fink and all of her drawings and like, I, I, I think that people do really respond to that sort of process oriented, um, kind of the word that's coming to mind, it's performance. And I don't mean that in a derogatory, like performative yeah. way, but you know, no, no, yeah. um, but, but there's something about the dancing that's so like, it just underscores that vulnerability and openness. Cause it's so physical, you know, you're just watching this person. I think that maybe, I wonder if that's, that's part of it. Yeah. And I think that I maybe am the person that was, <laughs> this is, you know, pretty woo, but like I say that I'm the person that was chosen to do that project because it felt very like, in many ways, it never felt like my idea. Like mm. it felt very kind of like channeled and just, I felt like, okay, this is my responsibility to do this daily thing and show people. Um, but it, you know, I'm a, I'm a dancer. That's what I am. That's what I was have been classically trained to do since I was five years old. That's what I went to college for. But I'm also just a person who like dances in my kitchen. And so I think I, because I'm like toggling between those two ways of both showing myself, you know, whether I'm just like listening to Fleetwood Mac in my underwear, or I'm like in the studio listening to like a collaborator's music or something and like really quote dancing. Um, I think that's part of the relatability of it. And I think that's part of why, you know, I never tried to be like, okay, I want this to like, I, I'm, I want people to really know I'm a dancer, like, or I, you know, I just was like, I'm just going to dance however I want every day. Um, but yeah, it's funny. I, somebody did say some, I've heard people say like <clears throat> lots of good 
challenging feedback, like, can it really be called personal practice if you show everyone? Mm -hmm. Like, is it really personal? And people have said, like, it should be called personal performance, not personal practice, which is just very fair. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm definitely like, I'm not not trying to do something, you know, like I'm clearly giving you the 11 seconds I think look the best, like out of the 20 minutes I danced or whatever. Um, So yeah, it's a, it's a performance, but, but I'm also practicing performing, you know what I mean? Like, I think that's where I'm like, it's still practice. Like I am an improvisational performer. Like that's what I, that's how I perform. So yeah. It's, it's funny, like hearing you say that I, um, I'm reading this book right now, Grit. Have you ever read this? Uh, Angela no. Duckworth is her name and she's a psychologist and, um, and it's all about, um, the kind of thesis stuff is, is basically that like really people who kind of like really excel in their fields, whether it's like Olympians or artists or musicians, like talent is important, but not as much as just passion and perseverance are. Oh yeah. And so it's really interesting, like just how she kind of picks apart like all of these mindsets that like I had, but didn't really have names for. And, and when you're saying that, what I was thinking of is like, she talks about how much we love as a society to believe. And I think Renee Brown talks about this a little bit too, to believe in this idea of the natural and like, mm. and, and you can't, we don't like to see people working at it, yeah. um, which I know is kind of counter to what I, to what we were just saying about the process stuff. But, um, but I, that came up when you were saying that, like this idea of like the kind of maybe some friction coming because they're like seeing you working or knowing that, that it is being curated for them or something, even though like, obviously that's how that works. You don't, you know. You're not just yeah. like, oh, look, I put my phone down for 11 seconds and this brilliance <laughs> occurred. So here you go. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think that there's, um, yeah, somebody the other day just posted, and I saw it because they tagged me and like tagged a few other people who are women who show themselves dancing. And this person who posted the story was a woman and she was saying, I mean, I shouldn't assume her gender identity, but. I think she was a woman and she was basically like trashing women who show themselves dancing. She was just sort of like, why wouldn't you just do it in private? And again, I was like, I love this. Like, (laughs) I love these questions. Like, I think people sometimes think it's been my favorite thing about turning 30 being on the other side of my Saturn returns finished Mm -hmm. and like sort of seeing the ways that like, I just love, criticism or like feedback. Like I'm so interested in like, why is she so mad? Mm. Like, um, and just that, um, I'm really can't remember this person's name and I feel so bad, but, um, maybe I'll try to think of it. She's an author and her name is Emma. I don't, Oh, Emma Gannon. I think she's British and she just wrote a book, um, or wrote a book I think that came out this year called the multi hyphen method. That's like a, it's also like a work. Okay. Working a book about working. Um, okay. But she made an Instagram post recently that was basically about like, what is this whole thing that like, we're afraid to show ourselves being confident, Mm. um, like as women and like, I mean, the answer is like the patriarchy makes, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, oh yeah, she tweeted, the more truly confident I get, the more I assume I'm probably more unlikable. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. And I was like, oh, personal practice tends to be this Marley 
as a person and on my personal feed, I tend to be a little more like vulnerable share. I feel like a little smaller there Mm. and I've been noticing that. And for some reason, the way I think I present on personal practice is my like other, my like confident self. Um, and I sometimes get afraid of that. And I think other people get afraid of that. And so that's been my thing is like this year and going into 2019, I'm like, I'm kind of done apologizing for like feeling confident and feeling joy. And I think that that's, yeah, part of the like, na- I think it's actually unnatural for me to be trying to stay small or something. Yeah. Sorry, kind of Man, a tangent. It but. sounds like you had a hell of a Saturn return. Oh, I, I mean, I freaking got divorced, sold everything I owned, moved across the country, closed my business, moved into a tiny bedroom, moved out of that, moved to the coast, decided to move back to Michigan. I mean, there's like some personal life stuff too. That's like not even maybe ready to be shared. That is just so next level that it was such a wild ride. And this, I'm going to say something that maybe sounds dramatic, but I hope anyone listening, especially like mental health and and addiction stuff or anything understands. Like I literally can't believe I didn't die. Mm. I can't believe I didn't kill myself. I can't believe I didn't drink or do drugs. And on the other side, I am just like, so glad that I did it, that I made it. And so, um, I hope anybody who's in theirs knows that it gets better, (laughs) gets better on the other side. I'm 35, but like what you're describing about the confidence, like, I feel like that journey has been a little bit longer for me. Um, I don't Mm -hmm. remember, like, I don't think my Saturn return was quite as remarkable, but then also I wasn't quite as into astrology and I wasn't paying as close attention to to myself period. And then to all of these other ways that we used to look at ourselves. Um, but yeah, like this year has been very much a like, okay, stop hedging about what you want and name it and do it. And like, don't, don't wait for the guarantee that it's going to work. Just do it Uh. because you have to do it. Yes. So I am, I'm all about the thirties. I feel like it's a really good, I feel really good about it. I'm loving it. I'm loving women in, I know in their thirties and their forties, like I can definitely see the like journey to confidence and how that, um, I mean, I think some people maybe get it earlier or something, but I definitely feel like I've been looking to a few, I've really been looking at a few women in their forties, I feel like, and being like, all right, I'm a, I'm going to access that. ASAP. Like I want that now. So who are your like creative role models? Um, my two favorite living artists are Solange and Ellen Rutt. Great, great choices. (laughs) Yes. Um, one I know, one I do not. Um, (laughs) Solange definitely listens to the show. So I'm sure that, (laughs) I'm sure that connection will happen soon enough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I really like listening to Jen Gotch. Um, I like her podcast a lot. Jen Gotch is okay. Sometimes I think that's what it's called. Um, I'm not familiar with her. She is a, the CEO of Bando. Okay. I think that's how I say it, which is like a, you know, kind of like a very girly internet shop, Mm -hmm. um, that they, they're like famous for the planner that says I am very busy. Ah, yeah, yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. They make things. Um, I'm not necessarily like a fan of that business, but Jen's social media presence and her podcast, she talks a lot about like totally debilitating depression and Mm -hmm. mental health. And she's just so funny. And 
also posts videos of herself dancing. Um, and yeah, she's maybe sort of like someone I look to in terms of like, oh yeah, I can be like, no, I can be messed up in certain ways and show up to my work still and be public about it. And that's can be part of the work that I do. Um, and who else are my creative role models? Um, Nicole Lavelle, who's um, a collaborator of mine, she sort of helped me like design and vision the language for Center. And then Sarah Godestiner and Jacqueline Suskin. Sarah has a business called Modern Women that makes the I'm a big fan of Sarah's. Yes, I've gotten uh, I've done a tarot reading with her, and I'm a big amazing Many Moons fan for sure. I literally talk about Sarah in every single interview I think I've ever done in the last year, which is kind of embarrassing, but she is, you know, she's one of my best friends and I'm a little cheesy about it. I think like I had, and Katie Crutchfield who has a music project called Waxahachie is my other best friend. Oh yeah. yeah, and yeah I, think I know that, Waxahachie. I mean, I yeah, don't know I her, think, but I know that. Yeah. Sure. I think that those two people, Sarah and Katie are maybe who I like text the most mm. and they are the most just like, supportive, amazing friends. And yeah, Sarah, I'm just so lucky to like the way that she runs a business is, and is an art balances being an artist and a business owner is or the ways that she doesn't and struggles and comes to me for advice and the way that she advises me. Um, yeah, we really like grew into our friendship in a new way this year. And I think that that's can be hard to have friends who you like not what we don't, I don't think I look up to her, but we kind of like, you know, we just look to each other mm-hmm. and also maintain like a friendship within that can be hard. And we've, you know, had hard times in our friendship, but that's like part of why it's strong is we really trust each other to be like, this hurt me or this, you know, I feel like she just really teaches me like what, I don't really use the word feminism anymore, but like feminism in action or something mm-hmm. like how to really be like a true sister to each other um so yeah those are my creative role models it's been really interesting for me to see in the last few years like kind of how those my female relationships have changed like and most Mm -hmm. of my close friendships are are women so like that's Mm -hmm. I guess basically what I'm saying is close friendships but it's sort of that Mm -hmm. like like when you said, you said that with kind of like what sounded like a little bit of a hint of surprise of like, I guess they're the ones I text the most. And like, I have kind of noticed lately that like that rubric has changed a little bit or that like marker has kind of the people that fall under that marker have changed a little bit. And I think it's like a little bit of just sort of like getting more comfortable with like yourself and then finding people who are comfortable with you. I don't know. Yeah. This year I also had some of my first sort of like like bigger friend fallouts Mm. and have kind of been lucky to not really experience that before. Like I've definitely, you know, drifted apart from people like naturally in a way that when we still see each other, it's like very special. But this year I really like had some like breakups and, um, that I don't really hear people talk about that a lot. And I think that that has made some of those friendships, like my friendship with Katie or Sarah or, or Ellen or like new, new, certain new people or like reconnect with older friends and like strengthen those friendships is to like, 
it can like the Roger voice definitely comes in when I have like a few that seem to have a similar pattern and the common denominator would be moi. (laughs) Um, and so it can be easy to be like, well, I'm fucked up. Like, Mm -hmm. what did I, what is wrong with me that certain people can't hang? And I think that, um, you know, I see loving similarities in those people that I fell off with that I'm like, I'm, I'm like not for everyone, both publicly and privately. And I can release those people with love. And I don't, I don't really have like anger. I have maybe like sadness, but it's like, it just makes me, I think, you know, there's also like, I can be real with myself about where does my workaholism or my non-mindfulness, like, get in the way of those friendships that I lost this year and where can I take responsibility for that and really kind of tune in and pay attention to the people who are showing up for me and really nourish those relationships. And I think just have less like, yeah, I think part of being a Gemini and a really public person who draws a lot of people to me. Uh Yeah. Well, there we go. I mean, yeah, my Mercury and Venus are also in Gemini. So like, everything about me it just feels Whoa. very Gemini. Okay, yeah I do also have Mercury and Gemini but my Venus my Venus is in Cancer so wow. I've got a little bit of a reprieve there. Wow. If you want to call Venus I, uh, and Cancer reprieve I'm not really sure. Yeah I've dated people with Venus and Cancer <laughs> and that's I respect you it's beautiful. <laughs> it's also very difficult for some Venus and Cancer and Venus and Gemini together is very scary. That's okay. <laughs> um for being, you know, we don't have to date. Like, let's just, you know, yeah. let's do the podcast. Yeah. I think we're going to do great here, but let's <laughs> like, it's been funny. I've been thinking a lot more about, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I'm new to astrology in many ways or, you know, in the last few years, but sure. really in the last year, really even understanding like <clears throat> the other, you know, not just sunrise, oh, definitely. Moon, but like, yeah. and, and so I've been, when Venus went retrograde, that's when like my partnership that I was in all year ended, like exes start showing up like in really weird ways. Like it was just the most classic Venus retrograde possible. Mm -hmm. And then, so it started to kind of make me look at like what were other people's Venuses in. And that's been really interesting. But, um, yeah, so I've been definitely this year thinking a lot about like, how do I, how do I nourish those friendships that are really Mm -hmm. showing up for me and especially deciding to go back to Michigan next year. I think it's been good for me to look at people that I sort of fell off with there and wanting to re-engage and like kind of just seeing like who was kind of like there for me all along a little bit. And I'm excited to see what happens with those friendships. So. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, I've always kind of chalked this up to my my only childness. I'm sure there are a lot mm, of factors, mm-hmm. but I feel like I, I sometimes have to sort of like watch my friends to learn how to be in relationships with people. Like, yes. like I have friends who are so wonderful at just like sending you a card for no reason, but at the exact yep. right time. And I'm like, oh, yep. I never, like that part of my brain is just never turned on. Like, how do yeah. I turn that on? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I love thinking about like looking to my friends to know how to be a good friend. And yeah, I have a few friends who I'm just like, wow, like you are such a good friend. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I want to be a better friend. I love this conversation. I love talking about friends. I mean, my friends are like, I can't, I started talking about my friends and I just, I cry more about loving my friends than I cry about anything. Oh, like, for sure. Yeah. When my friends do something that like inspires me, 
I'm, I'm just like that reading you came to and Ellen like walked in the door. I was like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe it. I can't believe my friend is here. Like seeing Kristen who hosted us. Yeah. It's just like when my friend, I remember when Nicole, who I talked about put out this amazing research, this amazing like book, this like huge project that she researched for like a year. I remember seeing it at the San Francisco art book fair and like seeing her hold it. And I literally just, here's a good mix of all the things I started like sobbing. Like I couldn't believe it. I was just like, I can't believe you made this. I'm so proud of you. And right when that was happening, a girl walked up behind me, not realizing I was crying. And she said, excuse me, are you the girl from personal practice? (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you were crying. I was like, it's okay. I'm just so proud of my friend. And she was like, cool. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I love, I love my friends. So Um, so, so jumping tracks a little bit, I would love to yeah, hear from jump. you. Um, well, maybe not jumping as much as I thought, cause I think that this is a Gemini sure. thing, but so, um, <laughs> a thing that I wanted to talk to you about, because I find this so admirable and it's one of these things that I think I often, and especially when I think about like who my creative role models are and, and they have this quality too, like, um, this ability to kind of want to be involved and express yourself in a million different media. Um, I feel like I can look at in other people as a strength, but I tend to perceive in myself as a weakness, you know, like just oh, pick yeah. a thing or like, you're not going to be very yeah. good at any one thing. And like, yeah. um, is that something that's on your mind at all in terms of like, oh, okay, I guess I'm, I'm quilting today and I'm dancing tomorrow. And like, <laughs> you know, does that, do you kind of think about it or do you just kind of go with it? Um, both. I'm. I want to mention that author again, Emma Gannon, who this is, I, I don't have this book yet, but I've been really enjoying, she also has a podcast and I've been really enjoying following her on social media. And I, I think this is part of what her book is about, but, um, I have definitely accepted more in the past year, the sort of like multi-passionate layer of myself Mm -hmm. and yeah, agree that when I see other people doing a million things, I'm not like, well, that's pretty distracting. (laughs) I'm just like, wow, amazing. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, it's maybe one of those things that I have like fear around, but I sort of try to just think of like, what's the structure and how do I like let the things play off the other things? Like, Mm. you know, writing a book doesn't, I'm not necessarily like, and now I'm an author. Like I've actually never wanted to identify as an author. Like I do identify as a writer, but I'm like, I'm just writing about all the stuff I do. So that feels like a separate task or something. I'm Mm. like, I just write about all the other stuff I do. And that's partly my job. And then, um, you know, hosting the residency. And I, I used to have a podcast where I interviewed the residents and I'd like to do that again. Then I have my creative advising practice. And then, you know, I have my art practice, which is usually quilting and dancing. And so, yeah, I, I just, sometimes I'm like, it'd be so cool to just do one thing, but I think I'm just more, I'm trying to stay curious, which I think also is just like more fun is to be like, Ooh, maybe I'll do this a little bit now or do this a little bit now and not finish this and start this. And I think I'm just more, I mean, that's where I wrote the, I'm a tornado person poem that I made as a print. It's like, I'm just, 
the more that I'm like, this is, yeah, I'm extremely Gemini, extremely Gemini. Um, I think the more I'm just like, this is who I am, the less it's like bad. Like, why would I try to stop who I am? There's a great, um, <laughs> Jenna Kutcher is this lady who has a podcast called gold. I think it's called, I think it's called, I can't remember anything. Is it's it called. gold digger? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And she has an episode, I think, that's about being multi-passionate. I mean, she like does so much stuff. But the point to her is like she, you know, has a podcast where she talks about her stuff and that's, you know, part of it. It's like find find a container that lets you hold all the things. Maybe that's the answer. It's yeah. like if you want to do all the things, just make a business where you can do all the things. Um, I think some people are definitely like, don't have too many streams of income. Like that gets confusing to people. And I agree, like for myself, sometimes it can get confusing. And so that's where I try to be like, maybe it goes in like more in seasons of like, okay, book writing season, online class season, teaching season, whatever. Um, but I say just do it all and make up some word that holds them all together or something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's maybe something that's so nice about this kind of moment in time in the world and, like, you know, something that the internet uses its powers for good for because, like, you can just kind of say what you are in a way that maybe before you needed some sort of institution to, like, categorize you or put you on a certain shelf. Yeah, I think that that was like one way that it was, I sort of like healed some of the judgment around doing so many things was I like, and I do this with my creative advising clients and I'll tell you and all the listeners a way is like basically frame a paragraph or a sentence that like, I think actually I sort of borrowed this just from a conversation I had with Faith Levine, who's also one of my favorite artists. And she wrote this amazing book many years ago called Handmade Nation that was also a documentary and like was sort of a big part of the like handmade movement like when Etsy was born and she's just an amazing like punk who also works in academia and gallery world and she's amazing and she said something to me also just does so many things and she was sort of like well I do all these different things but they're the same thing like Mm -hmm. I'm I'm researching and looking at the same thing. It's just sometimes it's pictures on my camera. Sometimes it's a textile. Sometimes it's a residency. And I was like, whoa, like I'm doing the same thing all the time, which is basically I'm improvising and making compositional choices and noticing how they relate to me being alive. And I do that through quilting, dancing, podcasting, and writing. Ta-da! But I think I've helped a few people do that and they were like, whoa. And it's really exciting to be like, make a poetic ass vision, mission statement for what you do. And then you can do it any way you want. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter how you're doing it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I, I've been working with this really great um, financial coach and she works with like women creative entrepreneurs. And she, great. the last time that we talked, um, told me to write a manifesto and I was like, Ooh, love it. I <laughs> love like it. Yes. Well, I want to talk to you about your, the, the business side of all of that, because that was another thing that was really so striking to me. And it really came through, um, for me at the, at the talk with Ellen Rudd of just like, and you can see, I think like the things that I struggle with by what I like point out <laughs> in you that like, you were so, you seem so able and comfortable to just be like, I do this thing and I'm this thing and I'm this thing. And it's like, you just 
you you get to decide that that's what you're doing. But you also seem to monetize it all really well, which I don't mean in a creepy, like, sellout way. Yeah. Like, I feel uh, like we're all, as creatives, kind of trying to be like, how do I marry the money-making mm-hmm. and, the, mm-hmm. and the artwork? Mm-hmm. And, like, maybe they don't always overlap, but... But how do you approach that that question of like how am I going to like fund myself? Yeah, because um, you've got classes well, and you've got you know products and like the the, the zines and the prints things. of poems and all of these sorts yes. of different things. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> I am here to publicly announce that I have no plan. <laughs> I've never had a plan. Um, I really. Yeah, my Marley's money stuff and business visioning is hard. It's not a I say that I'm very comfortable talking about it right now because it's not I'm like leaving the judgment part, which is great because now I get to like fix slash address some of it. Um and I yeah, I have really a really backwards relationship with money and definitely do things like find weird ways to make large sums at once. And then I get really intimidated and I am afraid I'm going to do bad things with it. So then I just do buy stuff or give money to places and organizations. And like, it's, I don't do bad things with it, but I like get myself to zero, mm-hmm. like literally zero. Not like, oh, I have a savings account. Mm -hmm. Like I go back to zero as a grown woman with a business. And then that weirdly like pushes me into trying to figure it out again. This is absolutely not something I suggest to anyone. It's been very painful and hard for me. So that's, that's sort of like what's been happening to me the last few years. And, but how I do it because I'm clearly making money somehow. Um, I think I just keep trying stuff. And I was, you know, part of it again is like just doing the work. Mm -hmm. And um, I watch my friends too. I literally look at how my friends make money and I'm like, well, maybe I'll try that now. Like maybe, oh, like maybe I should have an online class. Maybe Mm -hmm. I'll try teaching. Maybe I'll um, write a book or self-publish a book. And I think that yeah, I think the way I have figured it out is literally by following other people that I respect and like and seeing how they have figured out how to make money. I mean, I can't always assume they're actually making money at it and I don't know how much money they're making, but that's, you know, that's definitely why I made an online class this year was to be like, okay, I'm going to do that. And, um, and yeah, and and a lot of times I just look at what I like to do and then think about if I can make money off of it. And the way, again, the dangerous territory with that is the knitting example. Mm-hmm. So it's like, so I, I check in a little bit longer now and that's where I think the multi-passionate thing is helpful. Like I was noticing that I was giving all this creative advice to my friends and the residents at Have Company and they were just like, it was an, a incredible. Like they were just like publishing their own books and starting their own businesses. And I was like, holy shit. Like I talked to those people for an hour. Like Mm -hmm. this is amazing what they're able to do just from one conversation with me. And so, you know, I turned that into part of my business was advising people on their work and creative projects. But then I got really burnt out and had to stop. And so that was sort of where I was like, got really afraid. And then I was like, wait a second, like I could turn this into an online class and reach way more people for 
and it was, would be way more affordable to them and I wouldn't get burnt out and it worked. And so I think sometimes when we're really burnt out and want to quit, that's okay. Like, but then how can you be like, what are the parts of this I love? Mm -hmm. What are the parts of it that nourish me? And how can I just like shift how it's structured? So I think that's the thing. I'm like deeply committed to pivoting. That's the answer I could have started with. Um, And it's very, it's very mutable. It's very, yes. yes. Very adaptable. Um, Yeah. I think that like, you know, even for me with the podcast, like, this is a little bit different, but same sort of general idea of like learning when to offload certain parts of a project that you don't like doing. Um, Like I, I was getting really burnt out on it. And then I hired a freelance audio editor that I can listen to like, cause the part that I hated was sitting, listening to the interview and splicing it together. And it's like the best money I've ever spent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's the other thing is like, sometimes the money, um, I did some really amazing like career design mapping with Chris Farrow, who's a musician and a dancer and a career designer person. Um, and he really helped me look at sort of like what parts of my life and career are draining me and what ones are like giving me a lot. And, um, yeah, sort of like removing things and adding new things. And like, sometimes you have to remove the thing before you know what's going to, what's going to fill its space. And that's scary, but it's like my favorite. I'm, I maybe do it too much. Like, I'm just like, all right, well, you know, I mean, that's how I started my career. You know, I was still waiting tables and had opened have company, but you know, definitely didn't have enough money to really do it. But I was just like, I, waiting tables is burning me out. And like, I think I just have to be done and see what happens. And I immediately had enough energy, but yeah, I've definitely paid people for things that like were not making me money. I wasn't like technically like making enough money to pay them then or yet, but by taking that risk and doing it, like I had so much more emotional energy that it just, I didn't even blink an eye. Exactly. Yeah. 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 For sure. And like that idea of, um, of, of you needing the, like take, to take the step first before you, you can fill it. Like that kind of speaks to that thing that I've been saying about, like, you need like want, like catching myself wanting the guarantee. It's like, okay, just, just trust that like, you're going to figure that out. Yes. So what do you do? Like, I mean, I'm sure I know that rarely anybody has a typical day and I'm sure you especially don't have a typical day, but like, how do you kind of decide what to do on a given day? No, I don't know. I have no, I haven't got no plan. Uh, It's funny today, like right before we talked, I like made my coffee and sat down at my dining room table and opened up my computer. And it was, I was like, wow, it feels so good to open my computer and like open my email inbox today. And like, I have nothing. I have zero, zero routine, everybody. You're welcome. (laughs) Like I have morning time things I really like to do, but like, I really, I mean, a lot of this is a privilege, but I, um, I, I track my cycle really closely. Mm -hmm. And so I do schedule some of my like work around which day 
of my cycle I'm on. So week one, week two, week three, and week four all look very different. And like what energy I literally have from my literal physical body and what hormones are going into my body. So if you're interested in that fertility awareness method, even if you just download the clue app, my favorite book about it is called wild power. So those are way, and like truly looking at the moon and where, you know, like I'm just, I'm not going to make anything on a dark moon. That's literally not going to happen. But like a few days after the new moon are like really energizing writing time for me. Like I wrote my whole book on those, you know, sort of between a new and a first quarter moon. So, um, I'm definitely like very seasonally planetary led person. Um, and I can only hope we could all be more that way. You know, I think that that's where like a lot of like chronic, like illness and fatigue is coming from living under capitalism and just feeling like we have to push. Right. And, and I think that's like in some ways sort of the same risk of like, what if you just tried not doing that for a second? Yeah. Even if it's scary and feels like I have had $5 to my name and still made art that I knew wasn't going to make me money first. And it gave me the like joy and self-confidence to get to work later that day. And so I, I know like, that's just, yeah. And I work my ass off. I mean, I work at weird hours and I work kind of when I want to, I send most of my emails at 11 PM. Like I just don't, I don't think there ha- is a right or wrong way. I think that's where like, I'm also really interested in human design, which is like another, um, strange way of looking at if you're interested in it, just Google it. Um, but it's like sort of, again, just yet another modality of looking at like, we are all designed so differently. Mm-hmm. Like there can't even be, And that's sort of how I wrote my book is like, and how I write everything is like, I'm not interested in making self-help, but it really shouldn't be called how to not always be working. It should be called like how Marley stopped being totally obsessed with, you know, it's really Mm -hmm. about me and it's me talking to myself and people relate to that, but it's not like a guide. It's not like a, here you go. I've written the guide. You know, it's like, I just... It's so, um, but I do dance every day. I try to drink a lot of water. I try to make an herbal infusion every day. I love eating fermented kimchi with eggs on greens. I love making a smoothie. A magic bullet is $29. Don't let the wellness bloggers with their Vitamixes fool you. Anyone can make a smoothie. Um, I try to stretch. I try to be outside. And then I try to just go into my studio even if I don't make anything, it feels good. Mm-hmm. And I really, I wish I was reading more right now. I'm not, but, um, and then I usually listen to a podcast or make a dinner. Um, but yeah, my work comes in like really crazy spurts usually too. It's like, you know, I get, I write a book in like a month, right? <laughs> you know, I like, I'm constantly researching and taking crazy notes, but then like, I, I work really manically and really fast. Um, and I think that that freaks people out. Like sometimes they're like, what? Like where did like center has a residency in Michigan now? Like, how'd you even do that or think of that? It's like, I don't know. I just, it just happened really fast, you know, but like a lot of the slowness I do leading up to that is also work. It's just, so yeah, I think the more that we just like 
love the weird ways, but that's my very long answer for what I do every day. I love that. And it really reinforces this thing that like, I've been trying to keep in mind too, that like doing something mindlessly and doing the same thing intentionally are like two very different choices. Yeah. And so just like knowing that like, okay, so I'm in my crazy work spurt right now and I don't need to judge it. And that's just like, where it is like that's 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 how I do it and I'm choosing to accept that that's how I do it yeah it definitely I definitely have to kick up the like being nice to myself voice that's like this is cool this is how you do it and that's just gotta be fine it's been working so far in some ways you know so do you have any um like what are you doing for the the year about to change like looking ahead for your your creative life Um, I'm really excited. You know, I've been living in a one room, tiny cabin by the ocean by myself for the last year and a half, which has been amazing. And I love it. And, but I really thrive living with others. I thrive hosting people who are committed to their own art practice. So I'm really excited to be moving into this house in Grand Rapids in Michigan. That's, um, so spacious and just has so much room for resting and working and collaborating and to have my own bedroom and office that is has big windows <laughs> and to eat lots of soup and to cross country ski and to start working on another book I'm really excited about and yeah have some like travel plans next year too but I'm just like really excited to make this house into kind of like the space I've been really wanting. And again, in the, in astrology terms, Jupiter moved into Sagittarius this month. And like the next day, this sort of mentor of mine was like, okay, I have this house and it needs someone to rent it. And do you want it? And it's like sort of part of this healing around like on paper, I, no one would ever rent me this house. Uh You know, Uh (laughs) like I have a lot of like debt cleaning up and paper trail and tax things to, to address. And this house also feels like the place to sort of face everything Uh I've been avoiding. It feels really supportive. And I hope that other people feel invited to, to do the same there to like, how do we kind of like tap into this joy and confidence and love ourselves while we're like, all right, last two years of taxes, let's do this, you know, and not be like shaming ourselves Mm -hmm. and just be like, yeah, we're going to do it now. Okay, great. Um, so yeah, those are, those are the things I'm excited about. That's awesome. Well, I want to wrap up by asking you a question that I like to ask everybody at the end of our conversations. I'm really excited to hear your answer to it. Um, which is what does creative satisfaction look like for you right now? Ooh, creative satisfaction. Um, Wow. It's funny. I'm thinking again about friendships and I'm thinking about this night I had the other night, like hanging out with like many generations of women. There was four of us between ages 27 and 73, 28 and 73. And, um, and just talking about our projects and our art and like idea sharing. Like, I think that is I was so satisfied. Like I was so satisfied. Like my friend Corbin who has this newspaper project called the changing times was just like reading out loud to us. And I was so happy. I was just so happy to have 
an environment that like we weren't showing anyone. It wasn't for anyone. It wasn't like, I'm going to read. It was her finished product. It wasn't like workshopping. It was mm-hmm. literally just like sharing stories. And so, yeah, I want more of that. I want more of the like non-documented togetherness of just like sharing with each other. Like that is creative satisfaction to me. So I love that. Well, thank you so much. It's been fun talking to you. Yeah. I've, this was a great way to start my day. Thank you. (laughs) Today's conversation was edited by Phoebe Wang and produced by Courtney Ballastier. You'll find links to some of the things we talked about at WMFAPodcast.com. Have a question or an author you'd love to hear on the show? Email me at hello at WMFAPodcast.com and find me on Twitter and Instagram at CFBallastier. And writers need feedback. If you're enjoying the show, please take a second to write a review on iTunes. The WMFA logo was created by Unsold Studio, and the theme music is Jazz Dancer by Double Winter. Find them at doublewinter.bandcamp.com. WMFA is made in Detroit by Courtney Ballastier, LLC. All rights reserved.